We'll be looking at Matthew's accounts of the first advent of Christ. Uh, so if you will, turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1025. 1025. I made a copy this morning of the text and with notes to the side so I'd know how to pronounce all these names. Uh, So hear now the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 1, reading from verses 1 through 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon of the, to the Christ, 14 generations." Even this is the inspired Word of God, and it is given to us for a reason. It is living and active, uh, His very inspired Word to us. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this text, a text that we often skip over, help us, Lord, for You have given it to us for a reason. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. When a uh, new ambassador shows up uh, to serve in a foreign nation, He comes with credentials. You cannot just show up. You have to come with the proper um, uh, documents and the proper letter from your respective government. Without that, you cannot be an ambassador. These are the documents of Jesus, proving to us that He is the Son of Abraham And he is the true Davidic king. You know, introductions are important. 
they serve as the first impression when someone uh, is introduced to someone. They introduce a book, they might introduce a sermon, and, and really oftentimes it takes longer to write an introduction to a book than it can to the book itself. You have to really make sure that it's going to grab the reader or the listener. It's important because it's the first thing that a reader or, listen, or listener will interact with the information. So why does Matthew begin his book? A book that he wants people to actually read, right? Why does he begin this book with 17 verses of the genealogy of Jesus? At best, we skim it, and usually we just skip it. Well, it's because Jesus was writing to, originally to a Jewish audience. To a Jew in this period, it was incredibly important to know your lineage, And it's not just of special, important people like Jesus who would know their lineage going this far back. Everyday, normal Jews would know their lineage as well because it had great importance on their lives. Sometimes it would indicate who they could marry or where they could live or even what kind of job they could have. When the um, exiles came back from exile, some were excluded from being priests because they could not prove their genealogy going far back enough. So to us, this sounds like something that is rather boring. But to the original Jewish readers, this was really important to know that this Jesus is the one who has been foretold and prophesied about all these many centuries. You know, so so what about to us? Right? I mean, it's good to them. What about to us? Well, it tells a story. And it tells us that Christ is the one who came to fulfill the promises made to Abraham. And that he really is the true Davidic king, the one whom had been foretold. And he came to usher in the true kingdom of God. And we get this all from just a list of names. Well, it is true that Matthew begins with this introduction of the genealogy. But he gives us a bit of an introduction to the introduction. In verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David the son of Abraham. Immediately we are told that the one whom you have been waiting for, this is his genealogy. It is the one of the Christ, which is the Greek translation of the word Messiah. What we are about to hear and read is the family tree of the promised one whom God would send to save and deliver his people from their greatest enemy and their greatest problem, the guilt of their and our sin. Indeed, the one who is called Christ here, that's not his last name, that is his title, the the Messiah. The one who is the Christ here, his name is Jesus, which means God saves. Here is the one who is the descendant from Abraham, uh, through whom the promises would flow to his people. And even more so, here is the one who has come in the kingly line of David, the true king of kings and lord of lords. And so in verses 2 through 6, we get this genealogy of Jesus from Abraham to David. Now, a couple things we need to note here. The first is that the word translated son or father does not necessarily have to mean a son in the next generation or a father in the generation above. Uh, It can refer to an ancestor or to a descendant, respectively. And that's important to know because if you take this list, this genealogical list, and compare it to the Old Testament histories, you'll find that there are several generations that are missing. 
Well, that's not important for our context. Matthew is not trying to give us an every person through here kind of list. He is giving us a list to prove that Jesus is who he says he is. Well, why does he begin with Abraham? Well, Abraham's really important. See, God had made promises to Abraham. God had called Abram out of a pagan world and a pagan background, out of unbelief into belief to to go to what is eventually be called the promised land or or Canaan, Israel, uh, Jordan. And we get this promise in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. All the way back in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, which is ultimately going to be fulfilled by the Messiah, the one who had come in Abraham's line. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. This one's really important. Verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not just ethnic Jews. There was an outward focus. And there always has been an outward focus to our relationship with the Lord, both in the Old and New Testaments. Coming one day would be someone who would take the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles, and call them to be part of the true people of God. The kernel of this promise was made to Abraham, but they found their full culmination in the coming of the God-man Jesus who would take the good news of the gospel to what Isaiah calls the coastlands, those areas outside of that ethnic uh, Jewish Israel. You know, it's really cool we get a glimpse of this through the Old Testament. If you really dial down and look at some of these names, there are some rather surprising names in this list. Did you see Rahab? Don't you remember who she was? A woman of ill repute, to say the least. But but what a great story. She she was not an ethnic Jew. God's people has never been just made up of ethnic Jews. Never has. Here is Rahab, who is of Gentile origin, who lived in Jericho, the place where God's people was first to take possession of when they came into the promised land. And what did she do? She hid the spies giving them protection, lying to her king, and throwing her lot in with the true God of all creation, Yahweh, the Lord God himself. And then apparently she married someone. Maybe it was one of the two spies. We aren't given that information, but it sure would make sense, wouldn't it? One of the two spies who came and eventually rescued her when Israel came uh, to, uh, to destroy Jericho. That The Savior has in his line a converted and transformed prostitute in his very line. Praise be to God that no one's beyond the redemption of Christ Jesus. Praise God that none of us, none of you, whatever's in your past, whatever you're struggling with now, no one is beyond the redemption of Christ. You never know how God's going to use you. Another Gentile is Ruth, right? Who was rescued by Boaz during a time of great famine in her own land. God is in the business of using messy folks like you and me for his glory, despite our efforts. And sometimes we try real hard in the other direction, don't we? Well, one of the problems with this promise to Abram is that Abraham was old, and his wife was old. 
And the way of women had passed with her. She was unable to have children. But God said that his promise was to Abraham's offspring. So what happened? Well, it took a supernatural birth, didn't it? She was barren, but then she wasn't. God used a supernatural birth to bring redemption to his people. Now that sounds real familiar, doesn't it? Because God would use another supernatural birth through a virgin, Mary, to bring final and full redemption to his people, the one whom Abraham was sent to point. Galatians 3.16 says that actually the promises that God made to Abraham all the time pointed to Jesus. That the offspring through whom the promises would come, Galatians 3.16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. Here is the one, the line of David. But something very special happened in Genesis 15. God would formalize this relationship and these promises that he had made to Abraham with a covenant. A covenant is a treaty, an agreement that governs relationships between two people. And normally what would happen is you would take animals and you would tear them asunder. You'd cut them in half and put them on, both si- on two sides of a path. And, and then both parties would speak aloud what their commitment was to each other. And they'd both walk through the middle of these animals And the imagery was that if you broke your side of the commitment, then you would be torn asunder as well. And so God does this. Genesis 15, God tells Abraham, or Abram at that point, to to split the animals. And Abraham knows exactly what's going on. Um, But then the craziest thing happens. When it's time to walk through together, you know what Jesus does, or God does? He puts Abraham to sleep. And he himself takes both the blessings and the curses, both sides of the agreement, all the responsibilities upon himself. And he walks through the two animals uh, split on either side in the form of fire. Galatians, excuse me, Genesis 15, 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Well, what happened? Did God's people remain true to the Lord? And the answer is no. Through their disbelief and turning to foreign gods, they did not uphold their side of the the, uh, uh, agreement. And so there had to be payment. Why is it important that Jesus came from the line of Abraham? Ultimately, it's because someone in the line of Abraham had to pay for all the ways that God's people had disobeyed and run from him. And this is what happens at the cross. Just like those animals were torn in two when the covenant was made, Christ himself, the Son of God and the Son of Abraham, received the curse of God upon him upon the cross. We should be the ones torn asunder. We should be the ones cursed. The line of Abraham had come to take the curses for himself, that we might have the blessings. Well, okay, so that's good that Jesus was of the line of Abraham. But what about David? Why is it important that he's the line of David? Well, God had made another commitment, another treaty, another covenant to David. You know, every four to eight years, um, 
or sooner, depending on what happens in the next year, we get a new president, right? We get a new president in our country, and it's usually peaceful. But that's not what happened in David's time. It was only David and his line who were to be kings. There wasn't an election. There wasn't a decision. It went from one son, one father to the next son. And when David wanted to build a house for God, God said, that's great, but that's not what's going to happen here. So he says in 2 Samuel 7, 16, And your house, David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so in verses 6 to 11, we have the line of kings with some skips in it. Of all the sons or descendants of David who served as king. But what's the problem? The problem here is that all of a sudden there wasn't a king on the throne. In 586 B.C., God sent the Babylonians to destroy His people, to destroy the temple, and to take what was left out into exile because they had disobeyed. And the kings were no longer faithful to God. And when they came back in the 530s, there was never another Jewish king on the throne. They were governed by foreign folks like the Persians and the Greeks and finally the Romans. But what about God's promise? God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And guess what? They are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Because ultimately, the Messiah was the one who would come in the line of David, who would become the true king of Israel. This is why it makes sense when Gabriel shows up to Mary and says in Luke 1, 31 and 32, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Well, I was thinking through applications. This is a tough text to apply, isn't it? A bunch of names. You know, one thing that struck me as I was thinking through this was how important it is for each generation to call on the name of the Lord for themselves. How important it is, crucial, that each generation calls on the name of the Lord themselves. Especially as you look through the line of the kings here, not all these guys were good guys. And there are a great many more that aren't listed here, that some were good and some were bad. And each one of those bad ones, it was a failure of the next generation to call upon the name of the Lord. Children, students... You know, if, if your mom or your dad, or your mom can't be a deacon, if your dad's a deacon or an elder, or, uh, you know, if they're a Sunday school teacher or serving the Lord, that's great, and listen to them, but that does not save you. That will not get you to heaven. You cannot rely upon the laurels, upon the merits of your parents or your grandparents. You must call upon the name of the Lord. You must become a Christian. Um, you think about where this church will be in 30, 40, 50 years. And apart from the Lord doing surprising and amazing things, it generally happens through each generation calling upon the Lord. And then as this generation steps up to the plate, not only in salvation, but in service and in leadership, and takes the reins from the generation as it gets older, that's, that's how congregations thrive and survive. Each generation must call upon the name of the Lord. But tied to that application is that the Lord answers and hears those who call upon Him. 
Just as God was faithful to save your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents, He will be faithful to save you. And though there may be rocky um, times ahead in life, perhaps in college or afterwards, God remains faithful. Well, there's a third list here. Uh, and it's the time between the uh, exile and the coming of Christ. And y'all, it was a, it was a hard and bad time. There, there wasn't a Jewish king on the throne. They were under the rule and dominion uh, and oppression of foreign invaders. And, uh, and, then, and then God was silent for like 400 years. They didn't hear from God. And so they were looking forward one day to the Christ, the Messiah, coming. And so it's not with surprise that we read of those words of John the Baptist at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Here is the son of Abraham who came to pay for the sins of Abraham's family, by, those connected by faith and by blood. And here is the one who is in the line of David, who has come to establish the very kingdom of God. And he invites you to come and be part of that kingdom. What is that kingdom? It is God's rule and reign in the hearts, lives, and minds of his children. It is salvation. The king has laid down his life for you and for me, that we might be part of that kingdom. The good news is that while his kingdom is, is coming, or has come and is coming in some ways now, It will one day fully and finally come when the true King of David comes and returns, this time not as a babe, not in his first advent, but in his second coming, in his second advent, when he comes as a conquering king and brings about his full uh, kingdom. So, do you have entrance into it? Are you part of this kingdom? The reality is that His sacrificial death on the cross paid for our sins. He settled our debts. His blood was shed for dirty and rotten scoundrels like you and me that we might be forgiven and set free by our true King. And all those who trust in what Christ has done on the cross for us, believing in that empty grave, can receive forgiveness, eternal life, and entrance into His everlasting kingdom. I do hope you're ready for His second coming. Because the rest of us are praying, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord Christ, we we pray for your return. O true King in the Davidic line. O Lord our God, until then help us to walk faithfully in your strength. We pray these things in the name of our King Jesus. Amen.